Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorships and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear about it. Um, you know, hey, come join us on the V6 Buzz. I'm Ed Horley. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about RFC 6724, <laughs> just to be really specific. And get down in the weeds. So maybe uh, let's let's chat really quickly about what RFC sixty seven twenty four actually is. I guess as as a starting point, like what it's all about, and then we can maybe dive into why it's important for all those folks out there on the V six world. So I, I guess I'll give you the title for the RFC, which is actually Default Address Selection for Internet Protocol Version Six. That is the title for RFC sixty seven twenty four. So. You know, let's, is that a good opener? It's, uh, I always think about it as sort of um, as the unknown factor of how you do sort of source address destination selection. And, and it, it builds on this whole concept of multiple addresses on a host. And how you have to have an algorithm to sort of figure out which address you're going to use and what's the right way to do that. And are all host operating systems going to behave the same? Yeah, it's yeah. it's really kind of a definition of a of a table uh, that contains different prefixes and what addresses you have on interfaces fall into one of those prefixes, and then there's a precedence value that says which one do I prefer in which cases, which address I'm using, how should I prefer that, and then there's a label value, and so it's kind of a sorted list of preference of certain types of addresses. At the top of the list is the loopback, colon, colon, one. So nothing should prevent you from talking to your loopback. It's always available and you should be able to talk to it. And that has a precedence of 50. The second entry defined in the RFC is colon, colon, slash zero, which is the unspecified address that has a precedence of 40 saying that's the next one. So whatever, you know, global unicast address that I have a default route associated with that address and that interface that I'll use, you know, it goes down the list and at the bottom of the list are, are things that are deprecated, you know, or, or less preferred. Right. You know, we don't want you. Six to four, uh, ULA is pretty far down there. Uh, and then the bottom of the site list local six phone, things like that are, yeah, really far down there. Yeah. Compatible and mapped addresses are down there below. Colon, colon, well, map, zero. Mapped addresses are actually higher up because they yeah. represent they represent IPv4 effectively in the in the list. So they they actually I think it has a presence of what thirty five. I'm trying to, I'm doing this off the top of my head, you guys. But <laughs> I was never mind. I was teaching a class yesterday. I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, You're right. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Mapped addresses have FFFF yep. colon zero colon zero slash ninety six of the last thirty two bits embeds a v4 address and those are are valid those right. can be used and it's a it's a method of representing all transition of representing v4 in in a v6 address space or right. a data structure in memory uh and embedding a v4 address into a v6 address now v4 compatible addresses that's just colon colon slash 96 and so it's all zeros and then the last 32 bits is you know your v4 address converted to hex and put in there and that's v4 compatible ipv6 addresses and those are deprecated and that is right. really far down on the list as well we shouldn't yeah use everything 
everything deprecated has got a one as is mm-hmm. basically standard wise from what I've seen so far is, is you know, so that site local six mm-hmm. bone, those are all those are all set with the precedence of one. So they're yeah. not they're not they're not readily available for folks to use at all. It's possible to use them, but it's not you're not gonna see any behavior out of them. Yeah. Um, and six to four Trado and ULA aren't deprecated, but they aren't they're less preferred. Right. You don't you don't want to use a chat if you got or if you global. got a Right. If you got a global unicast address, why would you want to tunnel mm-hmm. right some sort of automatic tunneling service? It doesn't make any sense. Just use your global unicast address. Yeah. Right. So th- yeah. that that doesn't make any sense there. And we we've talked in previous shows, like the show with Richard Hicks about some stuff with like, you know, why ULA is not necessarily as preferred and uh, you know, and things like that. So that comes in from this this table. This is what it does. So there's both a presence and a label. Um, that's that's provided in there. Um, strangely enough, I think on the on most Unix machines, what is it? Only show the label, doesn't show the precedence, if I remember correctly. But um, but it is still possible to change them um, and manipulate that stuff. So uh, you can def- definitely do it on Windows. You use the git dash net prefix policy to actually see your prefix policy in PowerShell on your system. But in order to change them, of course, we don't have a PowerShell command. We have to use netsh commands to. Mm-hmm. to actually modify the table, which of course is high on everyone's list to go out and modify this table to completely mess up their their <laughs> yeah. routing and forwarding on, on a host machine. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to leave uh, our, our listeners with the impression that this is something that, uh, you know, they're they're going to be doing on, on a regular basis or if at all. I mean, this is really, you know, the RFC itself, how it's written, the, the, the precedence of all the different address types. You know, this is all pretty under the hood stuff, right? I mean, this is you know, the OS programmers are using it to sort of make sure that the the stack is doing handling the addresses according to the with some some predictability. Um, but I can't think of an operational instance ever where you know it's like, well, the fix was to go in and modify the prefix policy table. I can think of the opposite where it, you know, well, the fix was we went and backed out the changes that somebody made in the prefix policy table. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like if you're playing along with IPv6 at home, I'm not sure that this is something, this is like particularly useful information from the standpoint of like, you're not actually going to be, you shouldn't really be configuring this on any, any basis, you know, regular basis, much less a occasional basis much less at all yeah the only time i can think of that where it might come up is if you have if you have to support substantially older operating systems that still support ipv6 but maybe we're prior to the cutoff of rfc 6724 being implemented in the os and i think i'm trying to remember when 6724 came out but i think it was like 2012 or something like that so if you had an os that was prior to probably 2013 or something like that it might still be doing the older rfc which was 3484 and you might run into a use case where you're not allowed to like modify the OS for any given reason to get it current for something. I don't know, but, uh, but you can still totally modify the prefix policy table. So you can basically make a host that's behaving like RFC 3484 behave like 6724 by going in and, and basically doing changes in the prefix policy table to update it, to get it current. So at least it'll do the right things. Um, Maybe just for the reason of like consistent host OS behavior in, in an environment that might be advantageous. That's the only, that's, it's a real corner case, but that's the only thing that I can sort of think of quickly that might, might be the thing is sort of try and get you current without doing like an OS upgrade because everything that's, that's covered there is really about patching your OS. And that's how they make, when they patch the OS, this is what part of the things that they're updating for you is, is, is this sort of stuff to get you current. And uh, you might be missing it if you can't if you're not allowed to patch the OS for any given reason, 
compliance reasons or something of that nature, yeah, but you still yeah. need to behave. Yeah, you've got like a free BSD eight box that you can't get rid of. You know, from two thousand nine or something. You got your Windows. Uh, you got your Windows XP box or your Windows seven. Service that's pack not too. allowed to be upgraded. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 really realistically the only you know area. I, I would I we I recommend over and over again in training. I know Scott, you do the same thing. Don't mess around with with your prefix policy table. It's just going to invite headaches. Uh, I mess around with it in, in, in the lab to demonstrate to everyone and like break stuff and like sort of show them that you can, you can do horrible things. And, uh, and, and one of the things that I have seen folks do is they're, is they basically are trying to map, uh, or, or set the preference of IPv4 over IPv6. Um, and so they modify the prefix policy table to basically get that outcome or behavior. Um, but that's not always successful. Uh, and, and part of the problem is, is like, well, maybe not all the machines that you're operating are active directory domain joined. And so you can't get it to actually take the command. So half the machines on your system are still using 6724 in the traditional way with all the default values and all the systems you can manage are doing something different. And that sounds like a horrible situation to me. Yeah, you might have like a, a closed system where you want to control the host OS behavior. And so you go in and modify it for maybe a group of systems. If those right. systems leave that environment and go someplace else and then mm -hmm. are on a dual protocol network or on a V6 only network, if they roam around and leave that little walled garden, then their behavior is really going to be wonky and yes. it's not going to work as you expect. And it's going to be very difficult to troubleshoot because this is happening deep inside the protocol stack. And so you fire up your Wireshark and you're not going to see certain things because it has to get through the stack to get to Wireshark or you see something generate, but then it never gets out the NIC because you know? <laughs> it was in that you know space in the operating system that this takes place. Yeah, the, the OS made the decision before it even went on the wire. Yeah. Right. right at the kernel level, yeah. Yep. That all sounds so perilous. I'm I'm so glad that Apple has taken this uh, choice away from me altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess we could talk about that a little bit. Well, and I, maybe if there if there's some listeners out there who have have cracked that code, have found the secret hidden place where Apple keep Apple macOS keeps its uh, prefix policy table or iOS keeps its prefix policy table. We'd love to hear about it because we've been looking for it for years and have never found it. They had a cheat. They had a cheat code that opened up invincibility mode. <laughs> That's right, God mode. Doom and uh, God mode. They could do levels with the chainsaw and not <laughs> die. You know, it, they unlock some secret portal to see that on an, on a macOS system. Uh, and it's it's uh, you, you can definitely you can definitely edit it on the Windows side using. Mm -hmm. You can display it with PowerShell. You can edit it with NSH. Um, certain flavors of Linux you can. Yeah, most flavors of Linux you can absolutely modify the prefix policy table. Although, what's worse on the Linux side is that basically the the actual table says it's thirty four eighty four, but then it's written like a hybrid between thirty four eighty four and sixty seven twenty four, but it behaves like sixty seven twenty four. So, just to make your life fulfilling and complete um, <laughs> from a complexity standpoint. It is not uh, necessarily easy to understand what's happening there. And this is one of the reasons we recommend not touching this particular file because it's just not intuitive in, in any account. 
of, of something that you would go take a look at and be like, why is this happening? This is the first one of the first places I would go check. In fact, it's probably close to the bottom of the list of places people would go check. Um, so, you know, leaving it alone is probably high on my list of like, just don't modify or play with this file. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. There's also a, s a similar file on Linux-based systems for glibc called yes. gaai.conf, which is get adder info, gaai.conf. And that has a set of labels and preference and precedents of different types. And it's really to, to govern how the C call get adder info returns names. You know, for a for a DNS lookup, and so that's the config file, and you can go in there and change it. That might that would also change your behavior in the OS yes. as well. Yeah, 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 that definitely changes it. Um, I, I guess I guess the other thing and the other reason you don't want to to play around with this is that you have no access to do this on um, and best of that best that I've been able to figure out on Android handsets, Chromebooks, uh, Apple iOS, mobile devices, iPads, you know, iPhones, etc. Uh, there is no way to, to to sort of change that around that I've been able to figure out. So you're going to have one set of behavior with, you know, laptops and desktops and your servers, and you're going to have a totally different behavior out of other devices. Then you don't have any control over third-party devices, things like scanners and printers and, you know, IoT devices, et cetera, that are all going to default to just what the standard is. So you're just adding more and more complexity in terms of operational considerations that really strategically don't give you any advantage. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing to understand about RFC 6724 more than anything else is when you have multiple addresses on a, on a given host, maybe you have multiple global unicast addresses, how does it make the determination of selecting from, you know, source A versus source B, right? Yeah. My sourcing interface A versus my sourcing interface B, how do I make a decision about sourcing my traffic to get to a particular destination? And that this RFC is actually incredibly useful for in terms of understanding what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a particularly easy flowchart <laughs> to make your way right. through. So Ed, I got to, I got to plug your book, <laughs> Practical oh. IPv6 for Windows <laughs> Administrators. There is a flowchart that Ed spent probably weeks creating. And it's, it's one of my favorite pages in your book, Ed. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I'll put you on the spot and ask you what page it's on, but it is, amazing and it took a lot of time to build and if you really want to understand it ed's flow chart <laughs> yeah I, I i appreciate that it, it took a long time to work through all the source a source b this is what you have mm -hmm. to do this is what it's pointing to i can't believe that the authors for 6724 figured all of this out without putting a diagram in the actual rfc because yeah. uh, that would have made my life much easier um in terms yeah. of in terms of what they were up to, but uh, hats off to the team that figured all of that out. Uh, who was it, Dave Thaler and mm. and, uh, and and folks from NTT? I think. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, it's just crazy. Like they that they were able to sort of figure out all the use cases, like the common prefix length and uh, scope comparisons. That's like a big thing. Is like scope comparisons mm. and like is it a you know, V4 address and an IPv4 mapped address. And like, you have to make this, you have to go through these decision trees of figuring all this stuff out and whether it's yeah. an embedded address or not and loopback addresses and their format, mobility addresses. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's a crazy long list that you have to sort of work your way through um, to figure yeah. it all out. Imagine it's a big pachinko machine and you pour all your addresses <laughs> into the top and then there's these 10 rules. Imagine those are the pegs 
on the Pachango. <laughs> and then at the end, the, your addresses fall through. And at the end, it creates this ordered list. And almost that. all of them go into rule nine, <laughs> which is what? Rule nine is use longest prefix, ma- <laughs> use longest matching prefix. That's that's literally like if you go through the mass majority of, of oh. the use cases, you're, you're going to find that longest prefix match is usually what ends up happening, which is mm-hmm. looking at the common prefix length yeah, looking at your sourcing address, your destination address, and do, which one has the longest prefix match between the optional sourcing addresses you have to the destination address you're trying to reach. Almost universally, that is that is the one that ends up making the decision. But, you know, to Tom's earlier point, which is rule 10, which is sort of the fall through, which is like otherwise leave the order unchanged. But then it says rule nine and 10 may be superseded if the implementation has other means of sorting destination addresses, (laughs) which is a complete catch all that basically says, do what you want. (laughs) So for example, if the implementation somehow knows, is it like a mystery thing, (laughs) somehow knows which destination address will result in the best communication performance. So it's a complete catch all that just allows operating system, you know, developer to basically be like, eh, don't want to follow any of the rules, so I'll go. Do what I want, which is a hundred percent what Apple is doing in this particular case. I think it's very funny. Yeah, I guess it's just important to know that this table exists. Maybe go to the RFC, you know, sixty-seven twenty-four, and just see what the table looks like. See what it looks like in your operating system, and then make sure take a picture of it. You know, and so if it ever gets changed inadvertently or unintentionally then you could have something to compare it to. And you could always look back at the RFC and say, this is what the table should look like. If it gets out of whack, then you could see what it should be. Know that it's there and say, if if you've ever, if you're seeing weird behavior, maybe just glance at that table, and make sure it hasn't been modified. Because it could be modified accidentally, maybe. It gets set by some new system administrator who doesn't know or or uh, who's thinking, ah, by re- adding or removing entries, I'm hardening the operating system. Right. Or a piece of malware might affect it in some creative way, you know? Yeah, and OS behavior can change too in ways that, you know, two steps forward, one step back with IPv6. I mean, it ran into an issue with the recent version of Mac OS where uh, it, I couldn't turn IPv4 off. IPv It was breaking IPv6. And so... Uh, you know, it, it may happen that the the prefix policy table gets munged up in, in an OS update and it's not something the developers caught or changed and there was a dependency they weren't aware of, et cetera, et cetera. So it, you could find yourself facing that situation. It's just good to know about it to your point, Scott. Mm-hmm. It's also subject to change because let's say years from now, we we deprecate Teredo and six to four addresses. Right. They would then fall and the precedents would change those entries to have a precedence of one. They'd be down at the bottom of the list. 6724 would get updated and then a bunch of OS patches would go out, fix it and adjust the table. So it could change in the future potentially. Well, and there's actually a proposal potentially to resolve. There's a, there's a draft RFC talking about the ULA address space. And the fact that there may need to be a 6724 bias update to fix some of the ULA problems. So there might have to be an update to this particular RFC just because of that recognition of the operational problems with ULA. So one of the one of the fixes they're talking about potentially doing is actually doing an update for 6724. So that's Nick Baraglio and, and team over there. <laughs> I think Brian Carpenter were talking about doing that uh, to to try and try and fix 
what's happening with ULA because ULA is problematic in IPv4 environments if you're running dual stack. And, and it's right. because of the change in 6724. I don't, I don't think it was an intentional change, but it was a sort of a, and I don't even think it was necessarily an unknown um, um, sort of, uh, you know, engineering decision, but I think it had some maybe unforeseen consequences because of the fact that so many people are using ULA in a, in a different way than what it was originally intended. Mm -hmm. And and then it comes up there. Anyway, I, I don't know. I, it, I think it's, I think it's good for us to talk about 6724. It's certainly something that we all talk about in the training portion of what we do for V6 on a regular basis because it's, it's so key critical, but I think in the day-to-day -day portion of being a network operator, you're probably not paying a lot of attention to it, right? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, Go and to expand on your point, Ed, we are seeing more ULA in Homeland networks, yes. in home mm -hmm. networks because of thread matter hubs using yep. ULA, sending out a router advertisement on the local network for ULA address space for, uh, IoT work. devices to use our lock to use their small little addresses and put that in the very bottom part of the ULA address space for land-based communication, then have that hub be that broker and forward those messages out to the internet for IoT devices that don't have off-net capability. Right. Because they're shorter yeah. addresses and- uh, There's and some CPE devices, port. right? Yeah, you have a, yeah, some CPE devices and other things will be that. Uh, that hub, that thread or matter hub, and they'll generate these RAs. So you'll end up with a device V4 address and ULA. Yeah, if you've modified your prefix policy, you may get some strange behavior. Yeah, because it's if it if it thinks that ULA is the preferred method for getting out and V6 and it thinks V6 is available, it's going to go ahead and use ULA and try and talk to the outside world. And it looks like you're in an open <laughs> at that point. Yeah. in time, which just makes everyone weep, <laughs> uh, especially your kids. <laughs> they're trying to get to, you know, their homework assignment or worse yet, their, their streaming service of some, sometime it's not going to work correctly. So that's where you might hear some, some hollering going on if you're, if you're playing around with that stuff. Yeah. ULA leads to fear, which leads to anger, which leads to hate. Leads the suffering, which leads to the dark side, <laughs> which leads to tears mainly. Uh, tears, yes, bitter tears. Just to be really clear, this is not related to your routing table and your routers. Just for all the true V6 uh, or all the true uh, packet pusher geeks that are networking, networking geeks are like, oh, does this impact my routing? No, your routers will still override and do whatever you tell them to do. So they're going to forward packets as forwarding packets decisions, not about what source destination address selection process is going on. They're still going to forward the way that your, your route tables are telling them to forward. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like, but it may, it may impact the, you know, if you're the management interface of your device, it's going to, they definitely, you know, embedded in them have 6724, right? In the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It won't modify your, you know, route preference or your administrative distance on right. your routers. Yeah. Well, I just want to be clear preference. about it, right? Yeah. 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 Good dimension. <laughs> well, unlike V6, we run out of space for the podcast. Uh, you can reach the IPv6 podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue. And I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Really appreciate it. And if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and then the Network Break podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. 
So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.